Welcome to the Health Trip Podcast. My name is Jill Foos. I'm a functional medicine and integrative nutrition health coach. I created this podcast to bring you along as we travel down intriguing science-packed roads, debunking old medical paradigms and perusing new innovative therapies and modalities with the finest functional medicine doctors, practitioners, and like-minded biohackers while living our best life. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode on the Health Trip Podcast. Ladies, have you had enough of the night sweats, insomnia, weight gain, brain fog, and low to no libido? When's the last time you even thought about sex? Was it painful? How about your hair? Does it feel like straw and is it thinning? What about your skin? Women who are going through menopause see degradation in skin elasticity and have more wrinkles and sagging skin. And those are just the symptoms. If we lift lift up the hood to menopause, there are some serious changes going down in our bodies that you all need to know about. I've coached many midlife menopausal women. And while most experience some of the symptoms I listed, some women cruise through without a hitch. They wear it like a badge of honor, announcing that they are the lucky ones, and therefore they don't need to take any hormones. Once women go through menopause, the risk of cardiovascular disease and having a stroke increases, and heart disease is the number one killer among women. Our risk of Alzheimer's, osteopenia, osteoporosis, urinary incontinence, sexual dysfunction, and belly fat all increase exponentially as well. Increased belly fat leads to insulin resistance, which leads to prediabetes, type 2 diabetes, hypertension, and again, heart disease. What women would knowingly sign up for anything like that? I do know a lot of women who fear taking hormones, who are so sure that they are going to get breast cancer and die if they do, and who haven't had the opportunity to talk with their OBGYN about the current science, safety, and efficacy backing bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. At the end of the day, we all get to make our own choice. But today I want to once again, spread awareness about hormone replacement therapy and why they support a healthy long life for women. I want you to fully understand the many health consequences involved in doing absolutely nothing. My guest today is Dr. Tabitha Barber, who's triple board certified in obstetrics and gynecology, menopause, and functional medicine. She is the host of the Gutsy Gynecologist Show, where she shares her wisdom and unique perspective with women everywhere to reclaim their health. By incorporating functional medicine into her women's health practice, she is able to provide women with the tools they need to optimize their health and happiness, which in turn allows these women to pursue their purpose in life. Just a little medical discussion. Disclaimer before we dive in with Dr. Barber. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice or for making any lifestyle changes to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any of my guests on my podcast. So sit back, open your minds, and let's dive into menopause with Dr. Barber. Hi, Dr. Tabitha. Welcome to the Health Trip Podcast. I'm so glad to have you here today. Oh my gosh, Jill. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Oh, good. I have so much to talk about with you. I first, before we get into menopause, which is what we're here to talk about today, I do want to just ask you about your, um, your decision to move away from the conventional OBGYN healthcare model into a more functional medicine approach, because you certainly spent a lot of time in med school. <laughs> yeah, and I practiced conventional medicine for a good decade before 
I transitioned and honestly, I was broken. I was broken, stuck in a broken system. I was burning out physically, mentally, and emotionally. It got to the point where I had chronic back pain and one day I couldn't walk away from the OR table. My back was just frozen. It literally had to just bend over and hang until my back released, which was about three minutes. It felt like an eternity. And I thought, okay, I guess I need to address this, right? I had ignored it up to that point. And so I went to the orthopedic surgeon and he said, oh yeah, you have ruptured herniated disc. You just need surgery and you'll be back on your feet in six weeks. And to me, that seemed insane to take six weeks of my life off. Like, how could I not take care of patients for six weeks? Right. Um, I eventually broke down and had the surgery. I was a good patient. I did the six weeks. And my third night back on call, I re-injured my back and I couldn't move. Oh, wow. I was literally stuck during a delivery. And I thought, okay, I just this is fixable. I went back to the surgeon and what he said to me, like stopped me dead in my tracks. He said, well, back surgeries like Lay's potato chips can't have just one. So we'll just put some rods and some screws in. You might herniate above or below, you know, you're just, this is probably going to be a lifelong problem for you. And holy crap. I was only 40 years old. I said, time out. Like I'm not signing up for this. I'm not having more surgeries and metal plates in my back. So I went on a journey and I did the unthinkable thing. Like I took four months off of work. I applied for disability. I said, I have to focus on me. I have to figure out what the heck is happening to my body. And that's when I found the world of functional medicine. And I will tell you, it was shocking. I had no idea there was this whole world of health and wellness and functional medicine and anti-aging medicine. Like we don't know about that in conventional medicine. We are so engulfed in this broken system of disease and despair and illness that we we're so exhausted as physicians. We don't have time to read outside of our two required journals or watch TV shows or read books for enjoyment. Literally, I had no idea about any of this. I didn't watch Dr. Oz and all these things like where patients get their information. So once I figured this out, like, oh my gosh, this is all because of my choices I'm doing every day, Mm -hmm. my horrible diet, not exercising super sleep deprived, crazy stressed out life. Like I made really big, hard choices and I shifted everything about my life and I healed myself and I didn't have another back surgery. And mind you, I have autoimmune conditions. I have Hashimoto's since 17, having a baby in high school. I have Raynaud's. I have lots of issues. And So I tried to go back into the conventional system and do functional medicine on my patients. It's not even possible. Like I have 15 minutes to see someone, Mm -hmm. hear their complaints, their symptoms, give them a solution, right? Mm -hmm. Which is some kind of Band-Aid approach, a pill or a procedure or surgery, and then on to the next patient. 
And very quickly, I realized I had to leave. And it was very hard because I had a very nice salary, a 401k plan. I was chief of staff, chief of the OB department. Like it was a huge decision, but it was the best thing I've ever done in my life. It was the scariest thing I've ever done. And now I actually heal women as opposed to just practicing band-aid medicine. And I've learned so much along the way about how conventional gynecology is not only failing women, but it's actually harming them and causing more problems and more issues. Absolutely. You know, your story is very similar to my own functional medicine MD. She was an OBGYN in uh, downtown Chicago, had her own health issues, had to leave and walk away. And during that time that she walked away was when she discovered functional medicine. And now she has her own practice. And it's exactly the same thing that she does and helps to heal people instead of put on these quick band-aid approach, um, you know, quick fixes. So very interesting, you know, oftentimes we don't think of our doctors as being human in terms of right. having to take care of themselves. You know, we show up and they're supposed to just do their job and, you know, they're, they're the, the, our savior in terms of, you know, what's wrong with us and how do we fix it? So, um, so many doctors that I have on this podcast have stories similar to you where they've had their own health issues or a family member walked away. And we're so glad to have you all in this space because you're the leaders of, you know, the current science and, and helping us. So thank you for that. So yeah. back to the podcast here, what are some myths surrounding menopause that you come across? Oh my gosh. So many, I think the basic understanding of how, you know, women feel and what they go through is all construed. How the medical system has been trained to handle it is an absolute joke. It's like a travesty how we treat women during this menopausal transition. So when I was in medical school, it was common for everybody to go on hormone replacement therapy when they transitioned into menopause, the studies were very clear that it was beneficial to heart health and bone health and all of these things. And so that's just what I was taught. And then this study came out, the women's yeah. health initiative in 2002 and freaked everybody out because it was stopped early for a dangerous incidence of breast cancer, blood clot, and stroke. And unfortunately, that was not true. Those were right. inaccurate um, results that they were telling us. And it has taken 20 years now for the lead investigators of those study to come out and say, we were wrong. We were biased. We were skewing the findings because we wanted it to show a certain thing. And we let the media run with these lies. And so what the study actually showed was that women over, you know, seven to 10 years past menopause probably don't benefit as much as a woman going through the transition when they start hormones, that there is an increased risk of blood clot and stroke, and that there was one extra woman out of thousands that mm -hmm. would get breast cancer <laughs> in the estrogen plus progestin arm of the study. So here's the problem with the study. 
the average age woman was 63 or 64. I can't remember, but well past menopause. The, the majority already had comorbidities of heart disease and diabetes and obesity and were smokers. So mm-hmm. what we have learned is if you have all these medical problems and you're over 10 years past menopause, yes, starting hormones at that point can be risky. Is there a benefit? Yes, there seems to still be a benefit. The estrogen only arm of the study didn't even show the breast cancer increase, yet that is the story that the media ran with and scared the bejesus out of everybody. When honestly, it was the estrogen plus progestin arm that showed that tiny slight increase that didn't pan out in further follow-up studies. Interestingly, the birth control pill is the same synthetic hormone and synthetic progestin as PremPro that was in the study. And we let women take that for decades. You know, you can start it when you're 13 years old, if you like, and stay on it until you're 50. And then your OBGYN panics and says, oh my gosh, you're menopausal now. You got to get off of that. That's not safe. And then we worry about giving them synthetic hormones after 50. Yet, what did you just do to your body for 30 years being on these synthetic birth control pills? So the way we're practicing, we've lost all common sense. There's so many things that really just don't make sense to me. Yeah. And so what I want women to understand is, yes, menopause is a natural process. You have every right to just age gracefully and go through the transition and live your best life. Unfortunately, a lot of women are struggling through that transition. And especially now in the last probably 20 plus years, more than any time in history. And there's a lot of reasons we can talk about why that is. And so because women are struggling, they're going to their doctor more and more with all these symptoms and these complaints, anxiety, depression, weight gain, brain fog, not being able to function at their job to the point where they're losing their job or quitting. Um, you know, no interest in their husband or being completely turned off by him, like a, an aversion. Um, so hair many loss. symptoms, hair loss, all of it, so many symptoms. And what we do as conventional gynecologists is we find the the medicine, the pill, the drug that matches that symptom, and we just load you up. So it is now standard of care, according to the North American Menopause Society and the American College of OBGYNs, that if you have a woman in the menopausal transition come in complaining of hot flashes, night sweats, weight gain, your first line of treatment is an antidepressant. Because one small study showed that it helped more than the placebo group by like, a drop. It barely helped improve them. In reality, antidepressants cause more weight gain. They destroy your libido so that it never (laughs) exists again. Mm -hmm. And then you'll really be depressed. So we are doing women a huge disservice by not having this discussion about hormone replacement therapy and giving them all these other drugs that are giving them new symptoms and new problems. And so 
it, it's a systemic issue. Our physicians are not trained to handle the problems of menopause. They don't understand hormone imbalances. And I keep getting asked, why? Why don't gynecologists understand this, right? The, there's two big reasons. One is gynecologists are surgeons. I spent four years in a surgical residency learning how to do a hysterectomy four different ways, an endometrial ablation, colposcopies, delivering babies, doing stat C-sections. I did not study the intricacies of hormone imbalance. That is mm. not what gynecologists study. We are surgeons, yet we look to them to be hormone experts, and they're not. I'm a hormone expert now because I went on and studied years of functional medicine and anti-aging medicine and taught myself how hormones work. The other piece of it is that hormone imbalances did not exist like this 30 plus years ago. Even when I was in medical school, I know I'm not that old, but like endometriosis was really uncommon. Mm -hmm. Fibroids were really uncommon. All those estrogen dominance driven conditions were uncommon and hormone imbalance and severe menopausal symptoms were all very uncommon. And it's because we didn't live in the society that we live in now. All of the xenoestrogens that are in the environment were not to this extreme level that they are now. Women were not living crazy, stressed out lives, wearing 10 different hats the way we are now. There are so many reasons that we have these imbalances. And so if you look at textbooks and you look at med school curriculum, these imbalances don't exist. They're not acknowledged. They're not talked about. They're not taught. And so doctors come out and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Your levels are quote unquote normal we'll see you later. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's mm -hmm. where the huge disconnect is. And patients are super frustrated because they're not feeling heard and they're getting conflicting information from social media and from their doctor. Wow. Should we just end there? That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I could go on all day. Like, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's really yeah. sad and the, the the bigger part of it is that there are a lot of doctors, unfortunately, who practice medicine the same way they came out of residency. Yeah. So what I learned in residency is what I do for the next 30 or 40 years until I right. retire. I don't right. continue to learn and educate myself and understand how the gut impacts hormones and the liver and the environmental toxins and all of these things. Right. And so... I, you know, I remember a patient coming to me and saying, do you think I have adrenal fatigue? And I thought, what the heck is adrenal fatigue? Never heard mm -hmm. that term in my whole life at that mm -hmm. point. And it's because I was sheltered from that world. I only knew what conventional medicine had taught me. Right. And I was doing a huge disservice to my patients by not really understanding all of this stuff. And Absolutely. There's a lot of doctors out there who will shut patients down when they question and yep. try to ask and understand and bring up stuff that isn't um, in their vernacular because they feel threatened or whatever. Right. And that's that's the sad part is 
doctors need to realize that they should be lifelong learners, that things continue to advance and evolve and we're not helping women. Right, right. You said so many interesting things, but one of the things you just recently said really struck a chord with me because you said most doctors come out of med school and they practice that form of medicine for the next 30 years. And as you know, most women stick with their OBGYN unless they're moving or some other circumstance that per- that doctor retires, um, stick with that just like they stick with their hairdresser for lifelong. I know yeah. I have. Um, I know about functional medicine. So I have a functional medicine MD and I have an OBGYN for just my annual checkup, but I always go to my functional medicine MD for the real information. Um, so, so that is a problem and women don't know. I, I work with a lot of midlife women and they don't know the questions to ask. And if you don't know the questions to ask, how can you ask them? And so I want to just sort of circle back to that time before menopause, which is perimenopause. I believe it's during perimenopause that a woman, if, because it, la- it can last for so many years, that's the time a woman should start preparing for menopause. And there's no one that says you have to wait until you're in full-blown menopause, like three to five years in before you start taking hormones. So what can women what should women know about perimenopause and setting themselves up for a successful transition in menopause in terms yeah. of questions or labs or just symptoms? Well, here's the difficult part. <laughs> if you ask your conventional gynecologist, you're not going to like the answers that you get. You know, like you mentioned, you have two separate doctors, one who does your pap smear and breast exam, mm-hmm. and then one that you actually get answers from. And I would encourage women to seek out another practitioner if they are not feeling heard or if they feel like they're being dismissed or if it just doesn't feel right inside. Like we all need to get back into listening to our intuition. We have been trained to ignore it, shove it down, all of that. When in Mm -hmm. reality, we need to be paying attention to that little voice inside. We know best for our bodies. We do better than any white coat, I promise you. So like I mentioned, when I went through training, I learned that perimenopause was like this one to two year transition where your periods became a little bit irregular. You might've had some mood swings. Um, and some hot flashes, and then you were done. It was not this 10 or 15 year event, all of these things that women are experiencing now, because it's about hormone imbalance leading up to the menopausal transition. And so we have, you know, we're saying women are going into perimenopause in their thirties and early forties, when in reality, it's just hormone imbalance. And those hormone imbalances are being driven by our daily lifestyle choices. Every single day, you have the opportunity to cause your hormones to be balanced or imbalanced. One of the biggest drivers that I've seen get worse in the past couple of years from the pandemic is alcohol. Mm -hmm. Now we drink every night. We drink because we're bored, we're stressed. We deserve it. We work so hard. Like we have every excuse to drink a couple glasses of wine every night. And when we do that, 
our liver has to metabolize that alcohol. It turns it into sugar. So then we get some blood sugar dysregulation. And when our blood sugar drops, it wakes us up in the middle of the night. So then we start having insomnia issues and sweating at nighttime from the blood sugar. When the liver has to metabolize that alcohol, it has to stop metabolizing your estrogen. And so your estrogen gets put on the back burner and gets recycled and reused or sent down this other pathway called 4-hydroxyestrone. And that can cause something called a quinone reaction, which damages your cells and your DNA. And that can increase your risk of breast cancer. So hormones don't cause cancer. Hormone metabolism not being done properly and imbalances in those levels, that can drive and contribute to cancer. So alcohol is one of the biggest risk factors for breast cancer. If you drink on a regular basis, your risk like triples. It's crazy mm -hmm. high risk. So you have to stop drinking alcohol every day. You have to make that a special occasion again, yep. because women's bodies just were not created to do that. The other piece of the liver is Benadryl, Tylenol. All these medications have to be metabolized through your liver and your liver will always choose exogenous stuff like mm -hmm. meds, alcohol, xenoestrogens, all these toxins before it chooses your own hormones to handle because they're foreign. And so if you're inundating your liver all of the time, you're going to have estrogen dominance. You're going to have heavy periods. You're going to have PMS. You're going to have headaches before your period and mood swings, all of those things. You're going to drive endometriosis and fibroids and all that stuff. So just by making the choice of cutting back on your alcohol, you can impact your hormone levels right there. The other big thing is your microbiome. So your gut completely directs what's happening with your hormones. There's a bacteria that produces beta-glucuronidase. That's the enzyme that will cause you to reabsorb the estrogen you just worked so hard to get rid of. So your liver puts a garbage tag on your estrogen and says goodbye, sends it to the stool for removal. This bacteria releases the enzyme, the enzyme cuts the garbage tag off, and you reabsorb the estrogen that you were trying to get rid of. So just having the wrong bacteria in your gut can cause hormone imbalances. And along with drive... along with constipation, by the way, because a lot right. of women that struggle just doubles with constipation. It. So now yep. you have more time to reabsorb those estrogens because the stool is sitting in there for days. Right. Exactly. Right. So how did you get those bad bacteria? You ate a poor diet. You mm -hmm. killed off your good bacteria with alcohol mm -hmm. and Motrin. You killed it off with um, synthetic hormones from birth control pills and a marine IUD and all of these things. Yep. So I see that all of the time and people are like, oh, I just have IBS. IBS is literally just means you have a syndrome, meaning you have a bunch of symptoms that we don't really know why. And that's what we call it. It's not actually a condition. It's a an imbalance of your gut microbiome mm -hmm. and the functioning of your gut. And it very much is associated with hormone imbalances. So is a slow gallbladder and gallstones. We could talk about that all day. 
Um, the other piece of it I see a ton of, I mentioned is stress. So oh, yeah, when we're pumping out cortisol all day to handle our stresses, whether they're real or imagined, like training a triathlon or fighting with our kid or hating our job or even fun stuff like planning a wedding, like all of that cortisol production steals your progesterone, causes your progesterone to be low and your estrogen to be too high. It drives inflammation. It kills that gut bacteria and causes leaky gut. It slows down your liver. I mean, it's all connected. That's the key, right? I'm sure you see that all the time, Jill. All the time. All these systems are connected. And yet you go to a conventional doctor and they're all in their little silos. I handle the kidneys. I handle the liver. I handle your vagina. I handle your brain. They, they don't even look at the big picture of you, you know? Well, not only that, but you know, you have to use the term of too many cooks in the kitchen because I have clients who have five doctors, one for this, one for that, another one for this. And they're all on different medications for their various health conditions, but none of the doctors are speaking to each other. Right. So there's, there's an overlap and there's, um, you know, contraindication indications of, of taking medications or supplementation, and they just don't, um, there's, there's no harmony among any of them. And this poor, these poor women are really suffering and they are looking to their doctors to help fix them. And that drives the stress even higher. And it's, it's just a really nasty cycle. Um, I want to pivot to, a health risks that are associated with menopause. And you mentioned a bunch of them, but I want to dive a little deeper because I want to really, I, I want to really emphasize to women, it is your choice at the end of the day, whether you're going to take bioidentical hormones or not, but have it be a decision based on um, education and knowledge. And what could happen and what is going to probably happen if you don't take hormone replacement therapy. And the other thing is a lot of us, we're living longer. We're not living till, you know, our mid forties, you know, like many, many decades ago, right? We're living and expecting to live a vibrant, healthy, um, sexual life until hopefully our seventies and eighties. I mean, I'm, I'm planning on that. Um, so if we want to live that type of lifestyle, it takes work and it takes work by giving up the alcohol, getting into exercise, prioritizing your sleep, all the things that we've been talking about here. Um, so I really want to hit home on what are the things that are going to happen or are most likely going to happen if you choose not to take hormones. And one of those is cardiovascular disease. Your women, it's the number one killer for women. And while most women think of taking hormones, like you said, as um, resulting in a breast cancer diagnosis, um, they should be more worried about their risk of cardiovascular disease. Oh my gosh. So many important points. Yes. I love that you mentioned the fact that women are living longer. So in the year 1900, the average lifespan was 49. Now it's like 83. So we're literally living half our life in the menopausal state. And we are 
just getting into our prime years when we reach menopause. Like, I don't know about you, but me and all my friends, we're like running successful businesses and have families and we want to enjoy our husband now that we have mm-hmm. some alone time and some money and all of this. And I want to feel good and function and look good. I'm not ready to go sit on the porch right. and knit, you know, like it's just a different era. And so it is completely up to you if you want to just age or if you want to slow that process. I kind of say like suspend you in your 47-year-old body for as long as you want so that you can enjoy the life that you deserve. And it turns out there's huge benefits to not going through the menopausal transition and living with low levels of hormones. So I mentioned, you know, that stress has really shifted a lot of things for women. So before menopause, our ovaries make our hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. The adrenal glands make a little bit of them as well. And as long as you have healthy functioning adrenal glands, the menopausal transition doesn't seem to be too terrible because the adrenals are the backup ovaries. They start making a little more estrogen and testosterone for us. They don't make progesterone, but most women get by. Needless to say, even in that scenario, you go through menopause, your adrenals are giving you just enough hormones to keep functioning, the aging process does set in because it turns out we have receptors throughout our entire body for estrogen and progesterone and testosterone. And estrogen is very protective to our cardiovascular system, to our bones, to our brain, to our skin. Like every system has estrogen receptors and it's protective against aging and disease. And once we have menopausal levels of those hormones and we don't have those receptors being stimulated, we see an increase in cardiovascular disease, an increase in bone loss, an increase in dementia, like so much higher than men. It's not, it's, it's super sad how women are just affected by Alzheimer's and dementias way more than men, a lot younger. And it's all preventable. Like that's the sad part is if you go on bioidentical hormones, the studies are clear that that process all kind of gets halted and significantly slowed down so that you don't have to develop insulin resistance and diabetes and heart disease. And you hit a really important point. Heart disease is the number one killer of women after menopause. We focus so much on breast cancer and we do that because it's so emotionally driven, right? There's so many emotions attached to our breasts and our figure and how, how we, you know, determine our sexuality and all of those things. And going through breast cancer treatment is dramatic. Women lose their hair. They get their breasts cut off. Like it implants a a scenario in our brain that is so scary Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as opposed to hearing, oh, my friend just died last week of a heart attack. 
Right. You, you think about it for a minute and then you move on. It doesn't embed this emotional like trauma in your brain. So when you hear breast cancer, you're triggered. When you hear heart disease, you're not triggered. Yet it's the number one killer, way more than breast cancer. Right. 98% of women survive breast cancer and do absolutely fine. Right. Just that dramatic treatment going through it. There are, there are some, excuse me one sec. There are studies out there that actually show that, um, your lipid profile for women who are post-menopause, your lipid profile does change. And especially if you're someone like me, who's also hypothyroid, that is correlated with higher lipids as well. So there's a lot of different levels of, um, of things going on in our biochemically inside of us that, but going through menopause is definitely a risk factor for increased cardiovascular disease and a change in your lipid profile. I will tell you, I can tell you when a patient is going through the transition based on those types of labs. Yep. I see their fasting insulin increase. I see their hemoglobin mm -hmm. A1C increase, which is your average blood sugar over three months. I see the lipid panel shift and increase for the worse. I see right. vitamin levels decrease. All of that shifts as soon as those hormones drop. And it's a clear indicator the cool thing is you can get it back. You can reverse it. Mm -hmm. If you go on hormones, I, I see it all the time with my patients. Like I like to see the data. I want to see how does that improve getting your hormones back into balance. And it's absolutely incredible to see those numbers. And the sad, sad piece of it is cardiologists are not being taught this. They're right. not being taught that hormones are protective to the cardiovascular system. The neurologists are not being right. taught this yet. We're sending patients to them with hormonally driven headaches and dementia and all of these issues. So it's really important for women to have a functional practitioner who understands this, who looks at the full picture and understands that all the systems are interconnected mm -hmm. and communicating to each other yep. so that you can make an informed decision. Yes, I pick this. I want to slow the aging process and enjoy my life or no, I understand the, the risks are minimal. Mm -hmm. They've been blown out of proportion, but I choose to go into menopause naturally and then focus on supporting your adrenal glands so you can have that teeny bit of hormone production at mm -hmm. least and not have like major adrenal fatigue. Make sure your gut is healthy. Make sure your liver's functioning well. All of those things like informed consent is the most important in my book. And absolutely, I, I recommend every woman read the book, Estrogen Matters. Mm -hmm. So important. Like just, we got to debunk all these myths. It's ridiculous. Yep. It is a book I recommend to all my midlife women. Great book. What about osteoporosis? What is the connection there with, um, with going through menopause and do you recommend getting a DEXA scan? Because most doctors wait until their uh, patients are about 65 or older to get a DEXA scan, which is, I mean, way too late. So what are your thoughts <laughs> on all of that? So 
the reason they wait until 65 is because that is when insurance will pay for it because mm -hmm. how doctors practice is very much dictated by insurance. And the point is they want to give you a diagnosis. They want to be able to say, I did that test and it shows osteoporosis and here's your bisphosphonate drug mm. or other, you know, even worse medications to treat it. Yep. If you get a bone density scan at 40 and it looks good, insurance doesn't see the value in that. Does that make sense? Yes. But there is a lot of value in it because our bone health is very much affected by our hormone levels. And like I said, there are estrogen receptors in the bones. And as soon as those levels decline consistently, you have more bone turnover. So you have two types of cells constantly working on bone. And this might surprise people. Bone is actually living tissue. Like it's a living tissue that moves and has cellular processes. And we don't want bones to be hard like cement. We want them to be like palm trees. We want them to have mm -hmm. a hard outer shell, but they need to bend and sway yep. and handle the compression and all of the mm -hmm. stress that we put on them because if they were hard and we jumped down they would shatter right. all of that pressure and so this idea that we just need to take more calcium has really done women a huge disservice it's caused more dysfunction but once we get rid of that estrogen then we have more bone breakdown than growth. So normally up until menopause, you have this nice balance of new cells, old cells dying and turning over, but then you get more bone turnover and that's how your bones start to get thin. And if you only take calcium and vitamin D, you might make that outer shell harder, but you most likely won't. We can talk about that but you're not going to actually stabilize that bone structure and make the overall bone stronger. And we see this with bisphosphonate medications. That's like the number one medication given for osteopenia and osteoporosis is a couple of years on that medication. You actually have a higher risk fracture. <laughs> so it's not beneficial. And if you stop that medication, you're almost guaranteed to have a fracture. So mm -hmm. we're setting women up for more problems down the line yet again. And really estrogen is protective. That is the one thing estrogen is um, approved for is osteoporosis. Um, but like I said, you got to wait until you get that bad diagnosis. And right. I, I come from the camp of let's prevent it. Absolutely. Know? Right. And what do they say? That as you age, your bone density becomes um, diminished. And also women tend to not eat as much protein as they age. And so now they have no lean muscle mass that they're building and they're weaker. And this puts them at a risk for falling, you know, tripping and breaking a bone, breaking a hip. And that is the first sign of, you know, going in the hospital with a broken hip. Usually they say that's, you know, one year and can cause more comorbidities or, or, or death. Um, and I've seen this before. And my, my mother 
her age, her friends who are all in their eighties, when they fall and hurt themselves, it's usually within a year and, and that's the end of it. Um, yeah. So we want to absolutely take more preventative measures on our bone health and a DEXA scan. They're not that expensive. You know, I live in a big city of Chicago and it's $75. You know, I'm going to find the $75 to get that DEXA scan and you don't need it every year, maybe every three to five years, or if there's a family history, you know, maybe more, but a really great, um, uh, test to take for bone density. What about urinary incontinence? Um, you mentioned thinning bones and I'm thinking uh, thinning bones, thinning vagina walls. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let's talk about sexual dysfunction and incontinence. Yeah. So that usually doesn't get discussed because women are too embarrassed to bring it right. up or they think there's nothing that can be done. So why even mention it? Um, and gynecologists often don't ask, you know, but that is probably the most common symptom that women have going through into the menopausal transition is now they have vaginal dryness. Now they have bladder leakage with laughing, coughing, sneezing, or they have urgency. They can't hold it and make it to the bathroom painful intercourse, all of a sudden it's dry and painful and burns for hours on end afterward, like all of these things happen or prolapse, your organs literally start to fall into the mm -hmm. vagina and sometimes even out of the vagina. And all of these are associated with your hormones going bye-bye. So you need estrogen and progesterone to protect that pelvic floor, protect that vaginal tissue, protect the bladder. Estrogen actually helps the bladder make a little mucosal barrier inside of it so that bacteria can't penetrate the wall of the bladder. Mm. So as soon as you no longer have these nice, you know, protective levels of estrogen, your bladder is irritated. You are have this risk of recurrent bladder infections. I see it all the time. And, and yeast infections in the vagina or bacterial vaginosis because without that protective estrogen, the flora, that's what we call the microbiome of the vagina, it shifts. It's no longer that nice low pH balanced flora. Now things have shifted and you got the wrong bacteria living in there. So I would say most gynecologists do a pretty good job of giving vaginal estrogen cream. They, mm -hmm. they feel comfortable with that. Going beyond that, that's a different story. Um, some women complain that vaginal estrogen cream is messy. You know, it interferes with intercourse or it just doesn't work. It's not enough. So for some women, that is enough. There are vaginal probiotics. There are procedures, like I have a vaginal laser that I perform um, mm -hmm. for vaginal rejuvenation. It helps with bladder leakage, bladder support. It makes intercourse less painful, all of that good stuff. You can do an O-shot with that. We do an O-shot, which is just taking your own platelet-rich plasma, injecting it into the nerves of the G-spot and the clitoris, and that really helps get the bladder functioning again so that you're not leaking as much and you actually can feel pleasure down there again because a lot of yeah. times the nerves start to die off and they're not as healthy and we have less blood flow to that area. And so 
we just don't feel stuff down there the way we used to. Right. And some women even aren't able to orgasm. So there are treatments for all of this. I promise you, you yeah. don't have to suffer in silence, but you do have to have the conversation with the right person. Right. 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 And so some of the procedures you're talking about are actually very, can be very, very costly. Um, and I, I always stress to my clients that great. If you can go down that path and afford some of these amazing treatments, that's wonderful. However, get the lifestyle foundation <laughs> first, yes. because that is going to support all of the costly, really cool, uh, biohacking type of treatments that you can do. And I've done some of those treatments and they last a hell of a lot longer when you have a really good lifestyle, including the sleep, the nutrition, the exercise, the stress management and so forth. So I always like to stress, get the lifestyle foundation set and then go do all the cool biohacking stuff. And they do work. Yeah. I mean, just carrying an extra 10 pounds can be enough to stress your bladder mm -hmm. and cause leakage. So yep. if you can figure out how to get your hormones balanced and your gut healed, you'll lose that weight and you'll improve your bladder. It's right. amazing. I wanted to ask you, have you heard, I, I can't remember the name of this tool, but it is a vaginal red light therapy probe that you can have at home. That's supposed to be amazing. Um, you know, so it's like sitting in front of a red light therapy box, but it's, <laughs> you know, looks like a dildo and you're putting it up you. What if what do you I mean? literally cannot remember the name of that? Yeah, either. I can't either. Um, but it does exist. It's out there. There's a lot of gadgets. I actually just interviewed an amazing woman who created a carboxy gel for the vagina because CO2 stimulates new cell growth. And she has figured out a way to create this as a vaginal insert that you use overnight and it stimulates new collagen and mucosal cell growth in the vagina. And it's got amazing results. Like it's being wow. studied and the studies are panning out and it's just so good. So you should check that out because that's promising, you know, and it's not super cheap because it's newer. She just created it, but that's a way to avoid procedures and doing mm -hmm. it at home. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Very There's cool. so much on the horizon. So yeah. Much. yeah, there is. And like you said, there is, uh, there is a healthy, safe solution for everything out there. Yeah. Yeah. What are your thoughts on nutrient deficiencies and genetics when it comes to menopause? Do you run, like when we were talking about um, the estrogen metabolites, do you like to look at genetics or um, even nutrient deficiencies when it comes to menopause to help pivot your client towards a more personalized approach? I think mineral balancing, vitamin replacement, that is like key. Key, yeah. key, key, because those are cofactors in how your body is able to move things in and out of the cell, like mm -hmm. energy, toxins, waste, how your hormones are able to bind to the receptors on all your trillions of cells and send their signals, how your hormones are made, how they're converted. Like you mentioned the thyroid conversion of inactive T4 to active T3 in the liver requires zinc and selenium and we get those through our diet and this is what i see a lot is women will 
um, be living stressed out lives, eating a poor diet. They start to not make enough hydrochloric acid in their stomach. So they're not really digesting their foods appropriately and absorbing those vitamins and minerals like zinc. Zinc is needed to make hydrochloric acid. So then you're stuck in this vicious cycle of I don't make yeah. enough acid and I can't absorb the zinc to make enough acid. And then they get overgrowth of bad bacteria in their gut because it's not being killed by the acid. They develop food sensitivities from this chronic leaky gut and this undigested food. And really, they just need some zinc. Like they need right. to break that little cycle that's happening and make a shift in that and they can really fix the problem like give them some betaine hcl give them some zinc break them out of that vicious cycle slow down their eating have them sit down and cook and eat and enjoy mm -hmm. their food and not run from place to place like all these little shifts that you can do can be dramatic and all of a sudden you're not having bloating after you're eating and you're not right. constipated and you don't have dry skin and eczema from the low zinc and all these other reasons like it's all connected you know we talked about bones for a minute strong bones is more from magnesium and phosphorus mm -hmm than it is from calcium and we are right. super deplete in magnesium like you said, we don't absorb things in our gut efficiently. Our soil is depleted of magnesium. We don't eat enough vegetables. So it's figuring out things like that. Like, oh my gosh, I just need a ton more magnesium and zinc. Hello, mm -hmm. I need some HCL to help me absorb these things. I need different bacteria in my gut. Like that right there can make the world a difference. Or I need yep. B vitamins to methylate my estrogen in the liver, right? Yep. That's a and this is problem. this is why I love looking at genetics as well as a micronutrient deficiency test because the genetics will tell me, you know, do they have MTHFR or COMT or or doubt? What what is going on genetically? Because you have your genes, but it's that lifestyle that's going to turn on genes we might not want turned on and turn off genes that we want turned on. And so I really like. I'm like you, I'm a data person, collect the data and then pivot to the lifestyle that your body really wants you to go in. Um, as we come to a close on the podcast, what are three things that the listeners can do at home now without seeing a functional medicine doctor or their conventional medical doctor? You, you mentioned one thing that, um, and then I'll so it'll be a fourth, but the book, and I'm going to put the book um, Estrogen Matters in the show notes, because I think that is definitely something people can do without a doctor's script, but what yeah. else is out there? Without a doubt, check your alcohol consumption. See how much you really are drinking. Mm. Be honest with yourself. You know, if you're having more than three to four ounces of wine, in a 24 hour period, that's too much, unfortunately. And that's affecting your hormones. It's affecting your sleep. It's affecting your weight, all of it. Yep. Number two, drink apple cider vinegar, throw a teaspoon mm. of that in water. When you wake up in the morning, drink a nice big glass of lukewarm water with that or some lemon and start your day, like nourishing your gut. That's, mm -hmm. That can be so helpful for women. And I would say number three 
if you aren't moving, you have to get moving. You have to start lifting weights, using your muscles, moving your lymphatic system, because so many women have gotten away with being skinny or not exercising. And then they go into this menopausal transition and it all catches up with them. And the bigger issue you you touched on this is like loss of muscle mass mm-hmm. muscle is so important muscle burns your your sugar and keeps you from gaining weight so if you don't want to gain weight you have to have strong muscles mm-hmm. it protects your bones and keeps your joints protected and balanced if you have weak muscles you're going to have joint pain you're going to have joint issues and Muscles are so important for, I said, sugar balance, bones, and keeping off the weight. Those are the main ones. So if you could get more protein in your diet, I think that would be like serving you so well, except you have to move your body. You have to move those muscles. You have to contract and relax them because that's what pumps your lymphatic system. And that's how you prevent being sick all the time and getting the vid and the cancer and all that stuff is you pump your lymphatic system. It doesn't have a pump like our cardiovascular system does. Those muscles pump it all. So get moving, move your body, lift some weights, just do whatever you got to do. Absolutely. Those are all great uh, tips for people to start doing today. And, um, Thank you so much for your time today and your your expertise on this subject. It's it's near and dear to me. It's something I talk about every single day in my business with my own clients. And um, where can where can people find you? Yeah, so they can go to drtabatha.com. It's D-R-T-A-B-A-T-H-A, no eyes. Or they can listen to the Gutsy Gynecologist show, like you mentioned. I love Um, it. I love it. Big (laughs) fan here. Yeah, we talk about all of the stuff that Mm -hmm. really does impact women's health. You know, Mm -hmm. you're not just your uterus and your breasts. Like there's so much more to you. And we really need to focus on all those key aspects. So you can follow me on social media at the Gutsy Gynecologist. I will put all of that in the show notes. Um, And thank you again. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. And I hope to have you back again. And maybe we can talk about all those cool vaginal toys. I think that'd be a great (laughs) podcast. Perfect. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Lifestyle changes can be hard and overwhelming to make. By building your support team of functional medicine doctors, therapists, and health coaches, you can reach your optimal health goals. Be sure to check out my other podcasts. Until we meet again, stay healthy.